Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Cole Zwicker is back for the first time since we did our little project called the Top 25 Players 23 and Under. Cole, I I wasn't around really to get the hatred. Did you get enough hatred for the both of us on that list? Thankfully, this time around, no. People were, they seemed to be pretty pleased with the lists, and I was diverting a lot of the <laughs> response to you. But I didn't know if you were going to come back, man. Are they going to be sipping White Claws for a while and just kind of, you know, you'll, you'll come back eventually. I, I would have done the same. <laughs> I, I mean, like, honestly, part of the reason that I felt like I had to come back was because, you know, Australia or uh, Hawaii doesn't have the kind of White Claw population that you would hope. We had to go buy them at the grocery <laughs> store. Like, I, I had... What we were doing was when we were in Kauai, um, they didn't sell them down at the bar by the pool. So we went to the grocery store and I grabbed like a cup of coffee and drank the coffee, rinsed out the coffee cup, and then was pouring the White Claws into the coffee, uh, like the coffee cup basically that was brown. So that like when people walk by like security and stuff, they would think I was just drinking like a coffee or whatever. But really I was just <laughs> drinking White Claws and not using their bar. Oh, man, that's a flex. It's always nice to be on vacation and stuff, man. So that's awesome. Um, So we're going to talk about the NBA draft today. We're going to talk about 2020. Um, You know, I I think that the first place that we do have to start is LaMelo Ball, but we'll talk about a lot of other stuff. Cole Anthony, um, just maybe some of the other guys that seem to be uh, being discussed at this early stage. I think that the first thing I do want to note, though, is that this draft is just so wide open this year. NBA scouts that I've talked to, they're typically by now there's like some sort of consensus on who the best guys are, right? There's some sort of consensus where they'll say, um, yeah, like the top pick will come from this group. Like, you know, the top pick will come from that group. We, you know, we can cross off a bunch of guys. I'm not saying that scouts aren't saying that they can't cross off guys, but This year does seem to be, from having had some preliminary discussions, a lot more wide open where scouts are willing to consider a lot more players. And I think that a big part of that is because of this draft just not being as good as we've seen in the last few drafts. Um, It's not that there won't be good players that come out of this draft. It just doesn't quite have the high-end talent um, from the incoming freshman class that we've seen in recent drafts. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I don't know if this draft has a transformative player at the top. I think you can start there. I mean, some people were on the fence. Like, I had Zion, Nasir Little, and I think RJ in the same tier entering um, the summer last year, and I quickly moved Zion to one. But this year, there's not that one guy that really stands out, not like a Ben Simmons. So I get it from that standpoint. I do think you can narrow it down. The year before that was... You know, it was the Markel, Alonzo, Jason Tatum draft. The year before that was Ben Simmons, and Scal was at the top for a lot of people, right? Like, Scal dropped off, obviously. But, like, I don't even know that I feel like this year scouts are as excited about any singular prospect uh, or as excited about any singular prospect as they were about Scal heading into the 2016 draft. (laughs) So, like, I, I try and say that just to put into perspective how... How open this thing is right now, I guess, is the way to put it. 
Yeah, I think I would push back just from I mean, I'm not you're representing what the scouts thoughts are. I'm just saying what my insights are to the draft. I think it's a little bit more close than that. I look at right now. Two guys for me stand above everybody else, but not by such a degree that people can like lap them in time. You know, Cole Anthony, Anthony Edwards. I I do think the they're both very good and they're both certainly in my top tier as well. (laughs) Yeah, so I think the interesting parallel for me draft-wise, I got asked this question last night, like, what does this top three, what does this top of the draft remind you of? And I think a little bit of 2017. I know that class was more highly regarded as far as the freshman incoming and the depth. I think the freshman depth this year is kind of underrated, but maybe not the top-level talent, but just sure. it being very point guard dominant in this class. There's high-end talent at the point guard position or the lead guard, primary ball handler, or whatever, and there's depth. I think it kind of does scream a little bit 2017 i ended up having markel in his own tier but you can make the argument i mean i I never thought markel was on the same tier as like a zion or a luca so there wasn't really that transcendent player in that class i think that kind of reminds me a little bit of this in certain ways i'm gonna be honest with you i think it's like closer to 2013 than even like 2017 like 2017 there was a big group of guys a big group of like point guards that people were excited about like coming into the year dennis smith Like, he was coming off of an ACL tear, and I think that people were more excited about Dennis Smith as a prospect than they are about Cole Anthony as a prospect. Maybe the the comparison year is 2011, when Kyrie was there, and Kyrie came in with an incredible amount of hype. Um, Beyond him, though, there wasn't, like, a crazy amount of freshman prospects right um that's the year that in terms of one and duns we had tristan thompson we had brandon knight uh we had uh, i believe that tobias harris was a one and done if i remember correctly right um yes cory joseph maybe was that that draft like uh, but that that's the year and like ennis Cantor ended up not being able to play college basketball he was like a you know a pseudo one and done but to me I think that that's the most comparable class to this one. Like, I think we're going to see some upperclassmen, maybe not separate themselves, but I think we're going to see them move up in the hierarchy of this draft. Like, I'm trying to think, like, who was the highest upperclassman taken in the 2019 NBA draft this year? Um because what, like Zion, I mean, John Morant was a sophomore. Uh, it was Rui, I guess, as a junior, right? Yes. And like Cam Johnson went number 11. So the, I think that there's going to be room for guys like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like the names off the top of my head, but maybe I need to pull up my like list of guys here. Um, I'm not saying Jordan Wara is going to like go into the top five or anything, but like I think there's room for like a Jordan Wara to like, move up pretty substantially i think there's room for a uh you know a trey jones if he has like a huge year and can learn to shoot to move up pretty substantially the problem is that over the course of the last three years upperclassmen that class of player has largely entered the draft instead of stayed in school due to the new rules about testing your draft stock. So it's kind of depleted the depth of upperclassmen. Um, Having said that, like, this is the kind of freshman class that is begging for some sort of upperclassmen to really step up. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I think for me, just since I've covered the draft, I think 2017 
just that the kind of point guards at the top of the class, the quality, I wouldn't say any of them being transcendent players, in my opinion. I always thought the 2017 class was a little bit overhyped, even though I know scouts compared that even, I think they had them above 2018. I always said 2018 was better. So that's just my own personal thought. But maybe, like, you go back to 2009, which I obviously didn't follow the draft then, but you see the, the depth of point guard. I think that element is kind of similar to this class, where there's so many guys. Sure. Like you had Ty Lawson go at 18, Jeff Teague 19, Darren Collison 21. I think there could be some elements of that, but just at the top, it's a little bit more like 2017. I don't think it's anywhere near 2018 at the top. That's the, the best class I've ever covered. Um, there aren't that many similar elements to like 2016, where I thought Ben Simmons was a better prospect in this class. But uh, just as a proxy, maybe that class could do some good as far as gauging the interest at the top. And I think for the freshman class, a lot of people have said this already, but we could see the record for like one and dones this year, just because the returning class, there is a lot of room to, yeah. to grow, like you noted, but it's not a good returning class. Right. Um, so in the vein of the point guards, let's move to like what was the biggest story yesterday, which was LaMelo Ball. Um, Jonathan Gavoni, who is spectacular, and I don't, um, I would never disparage John uh, publicly because I like him as a human being. Um, he went over and discussed uh, a lot of things with NBA scouts who were over there in Australia. Um, went to see LaMelo Ball, went to see RJ Hampton. What is happening right now is what is called the NBL Blitz. It's essentially a preseason event where the NBL teams get together and, you know, play these, you know, two or three games and uh, prepare for the season, basically. The NBL regular season doesn't start until I think it's October 3rd. So the report from John coming back, and he's talking to NBA scouts about this as much as, you know, I am, probably even, you know, who knows, maybe to a greater extent, given that he was over there, um, was that LaMelo Ball is now in the conversation for the number one overall pick. Now, I find it strange (laughs) that NBA scouts would watch a pair of preseason NBL games mm-hmm. and go, hey, we were thinking this guy's like a late first round pick. Uh, now that we've seen him, he's in the conversation for number one. That that seems like a very reactive move in a way that I can't really remember an example of necessarily. Um, I think that maybe part of it is, and I talked to, you know, I had LaMelo Ball like at the end of the first round at the beginning of March, whenever, or the end of March, whenever I did my 2020 thing. And then whenever I saw him at the Drew League this summer, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be a lottery pick. Like, he's fucking unbelievable. Um, So I wonder if some scouts got some intel there, watched some highlights there, and were like, oh, yeah, like, this guy can really play. You know, we've been low on him, and then started to move him up to, like, lottery levels slowly. And then they saw this, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's really good. But... I'm still like at the stage. It's not that I'm in like a holding pattern with Lamelo Ball. Like I do think he's very good, but I don't know that I would put him yet in the range of like Cole Anthony and Anthony Edwards and these guys. Yeah, for me, the entire just the movement of him based on that sample and it just being such a large move. I mean, just quoting Gavoni, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but basically him being viewed as like a fringe first round guy and then moving him up to in conversation for number one based on just that sample for me just seemed a bit extreme. I mean, I already had LaMelo at three very tentatively. He showed all of this stuff at lower levels, basically. I mean, now, I mean, I, I agree that he has improved his shot 
since like two years ago. You see his elbow flare is less exaggerated on his right hand. Like he's getting his elbow in a little bit better. I mean, he's always going to have a little bit of a flare just because he has his hand over the ball when he releases and his shot line is going to push his elbow out a little bit. But just that extreme of a move to that point, I, I just don't really know why you would do that when he's already shown all this before. Like maybe scouts have just never seen him. Uh, I, I find that very hard to believe considering it's LaMelo and they probably watched some kind of, you know, video or it's It's whatnot. pretty easy to get synergy video on LaMelo. Like it, That's what I'm saying. Just <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm assuming everybody's watched it. He didn't show anything for me that was so transformative that you'd move him up to that extent. So, you know, you, you got that one scout saying, in certain respects, he reminds him of Luka Doncic when it comes to size, when it comes to kind of craftiness and like IQ. I just think we're pushing this way too far when I agree that LaMelo should have already been considered this caliber of prospect, potentially not in the Lucasphere, but I'm saying like in a t- as a top five guy. But now it's just like it, it just seems like the movement is a little bit too extreme based on a sample. It's not like the ACB he's playing in right now. Right. It's not that level of talent. And again, I think we have to go back to the fact that this is a preseason event. Um, these scores that are being posted in the NBL Blitz are just much, much higher than what you typically see in an NBL game. Um, Melbourne United dropped, uh, this was a preseason game, but like Melbourne United dropped 111 on Illawarra, who is who LaMelo is playing for. Illawarra dropped 109 on Southeast Melbourne. The Perth game that everyone's really excited about um, was Illawarra 122, Perth 119. Um, then the last game was 108 to 91 against uh, Melbourne United in the Blitz. Last year, over the course of the last 13 games that were played uh, in the NBL season, no team cracked 100 points. Um, Only one team over the course of, I believe it's the last 20 games of the NBL season, cracked 100 points. Um, Now you go back, like you can find examples of teams scoring more points, and um, it's, it's not necessarily that, you know, NBL teams don't score offensively it's that the pace of these games just anecdotally i don't have like the advanced numbers on it the pace of these games looked much higher and the level of defense from what i've seen from watching nbl games in the past uh looked much more uh nondescript we'll call it like it it, it looked like a preseason set of events and I just wonder if NBA scouts are putting the cart before the horse a little bit. And like, look, I don't even mean to like position myself as an NBL expert necessarily. Like I've probably watched maybe like 15 games or so each of the last two or three years. Um, But at the end of the day, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like I know everything that's going on in the NBL. Uh, It did just look extremely strange to me that we've jumped to this conclusion already yeah and again if i can just harp on i think that's a great point about contextualizing the nbl and i'm definitely not an expert i watched some of terrence ferguson you know a while back but i'm not religiously watching that league it's just for me the idea the concept if you look at it from thirty thousand feet of a player moving this much based on an extremely small sample and showing most of the skills and abilities that he's already shown. So it's either why weren't you higher on him before? What has he done now to really, if you weren't high on him, let's assume people have watched him like we noted, 
what did he do in these games that really caused you to vault to this extent? So I will say that over the course of the last year, year and a half, I think that LaMelo growing and getting stronger has played a significant impact in him getting better. Um, he's now like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, something like that. Like he is taller. He is stronger. He looks um, like he can actually like absorb contact now because I think that what people think of when they think of LaMelo Ball are the, you know, everyone goes back to their first impression. Right. Um, It's just an anchoring bias that you always see with evaluation. Uh, LaMelo, unfortunately, was thrust upon us when he was 14 years old and we saw him chucking from 35 feet and not even trying to play defense and, you know, this, that and the other thing. And I think that if people saw other 14 year olds play regularly, they would probably understand that this is not necessarily uncommon for 14 year olds. Like the way a 14 year old shoots is drastically different from the way that an 18 year old shoots. This should seem somewhat obvious to people, but uh, until you see it like at up close AAU events, you know, consistently and go to, you know, youth events, I think it's kind of hard to put into context. Uh, From the time that LaMelo has grown over the course of those four years since we've been introduced to him, I do think he's undertaken genuinely substantial growth. He does have very real high-level basketball IQ. He has uh, really improved the jump shot for all of the reasons that you already discussed. Uh, having said that, he is still like six foot six, six seven, hundred and eighty pounds. Just like there, he doesn't defend really at all still. And basically, you're asking him to get to a level offensively based off of what we've seen of his defense still. That is just ridiculously high level. And it's not that he doesn't have that upside. I think that he does, but it is it's a big call right now to be moving him up even based off of the growth that we've seen even based off of the small sample that we've seen yeah if you hadn't seen him for two or three years i can see the argument but if you watched him at spire recently which was like in the last year there there shouldn't be this much of a leap like everything he showed in that game i saw on tape and i probably watched like six or seven games of him when he was at spire and you you saw it all in like I, i that's where i just don't understand like this kind of jump but he has improved in certain ways and I, I do think the defensive energy that's something that he showed more in nbl play in the game that i watched against perth it wasn't outstanding but he was at least trying you could see the iq oh, yeah. some of the rotations he made some of the hand swipes like i i, I was never that worried just because again this guy's really really intelligent you can just see that on the floor and of course you have the pedigree with lonzo just there's certain overlaps there. not not the same player not even close to the same player but there are certain IQ overlaps, and I, I just trust smart players, you know, six 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 seven. But if, if you're saying, like, now he's exerting energy, I would say yes. I mean, th- there was – he did show that to a greater degree at MBL, but you can also expect that to happen when you're playing in a more formal environment. Right, yeah. Honestly, though, like, I think that that was – I think that all of the off-court stuff and all of the effort-level stuff defensively, that was a big question that NBA scouts had, right? Um Anyone that I've talked to was just like, yeah, we want to see, you know, we've kind of heard some stuff where like he might be more about his off the court activities versus his on the court stuff. And, you know, we've obviously seen him not play defense before, just all of these little things. And I think that, you know, what John's piece does convey to a terrific extent is that. LaMelo is not like that. LaMelo does really care about basketball. I think that honestly putting him in Australia is a 
great idea to get him away from the circus in many ways. But I think that he is genuinely a guy that just wants to get after it and just wants to be the best basketball player that he can be. Now, we'll see how much the defensive stuff continues to grow whenever he's placed in, like, genuine game constructs because again this was preseason basketball but like we should be cautiously optimistic we should think that lamella ball is going to be a lottery pick like there's no one is denying that it's more that with the balls we've always put the cart before the horse in many ways and i just worry that we're doing that again that's definitely fair. I think the Intel part might be the most compelling for me as far as seeing him in a new environment and him really focusing on but, basketball. But it's also the thing that can be like the most overreactionary too. When you come from it from a perspective of you have this negative Intel versus now you have this very positive Intel. I wonder if that uh, creates a situation where it can be more overreactionary too. I 100% agree with that. And that's kind of where I was going in the second part of this was I get that that might be compelling. And it is for me to a certain extent, even though you should have already. I mean, I'm, scouts know a lot more than I do about Melo's background and the intricacies there. You should have already had an idea of, of what he was kind of wired as. But it's always good to see that good new information come through. Like he's really fixated on basketball. But even as a talent, that's where I am not understanding this. Again, this vault from like 30 to three or to one. Like he already, based on talent, if you've watched enough of the prospects in this class it's really impossible to argue for him outside of like the lottery this is a pure basketball player like he's ahead of basically everybody in the intelligence game he's skilled i get that he gets a lot of overlap to lonzo there is not that many similarities there Melo has incredible touch on his yep. shot there are some mechanical issues with both of their shots even though they're not the same Melo's much better ball handle we've always talked about lonzo not having the handle the on ball scoring gravity Melo might not have that at an extremely high level but it's very much better than lonzo so there's a lot of yeah dissimilarities there and he's probably suffering a little bit in some fans eyes seeing you know Lonzo hasn't been the player that a lot of people expected him to be Lamelo is a, a completely different player so in the case of the ball handling ability I totally agree with you I think that Lamelo gets much better bend throughout his body and it allows him to keep the ball closer to the ground it allows him to actually go forward to attack whereas Lonzo a lot of what his activity is is you know step backs and being able to uh, you know, get that shot going that way as opposed to getting shots at the basket directly off the bounce. I'm still a little bit worried about Melo, like just being strong and being able yes. to like absorb contact. Like he does have a pretty narrow frame, uh, you know, even still to this day, uh, being able to be strong and be, you know, absorb contact while you're on the ball, I think is incredibly important uh, in today's NBA. I think that you and I talk about how we think strength is like the great marginal uh, advantage that some teams have figured out and other teams haven't quite gotten there yet. So I think that I'm like, I'm genuinely really excited to watch how mellow develops and I'm genuinely really excited to see where this goes from here. I just like, I hope that he ends up going in the top three like, I think that it would be a great story. I think it would be uh, really cool. And I think all of the ball kids, like, seem to be absolutely fantastic. I- I'm just saying, like, we're freaking out about two preseason games in Australia. 
Yeah, for sure. And, and just to your point, I think that LaMelo is a more flexible athlete than Lonzo was. I was always Lonzo a, a very rigid athlete. I think Lonzo is going to end up being bend, realistically. But no, 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 no. I got way. exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you when you were talking, but that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I very much agree with that point. And yeah, I, I just, there's several advantages. I mean, of course, LaMelo has a lot of areas in his game he has to improve upon. I want to see his balance, his deceleration on jump shots and the consistency. We, we want a consistent sample from him. There's a lot of questions to answer, but that's kind of the case with this class. Like you started from the top of this podcast is like there's a lot of uncertainty. Like I do have strong leans at the top, but if you work your way down, a lot of these guys have questions to answer. So I, I think that LaMelo just fits into that. And last point about LaVar, I don't want to talk about LaVar really, but it, it is worth at least acknowledging that teams are going to view this differently. Like, do you really want LaVar? Do you want that distraction? And I think that is important to at least mention in the draft process is a lot of times when you're on the outside, if you're you know an analyst of the draft in the media, you're not going to care about LaVar because you're just fixating on the player. You don't have to deal with that ancillary like effect on your roster. You don't want you don't have to deal with LeVar saying crazy shit about your team. But for a lot of GMs and some owners and whatnot, it matters a lot more. Yeah, no doubt. Uh did you watch any of the Breakers games with RJ Hampton? I watched one. I have not seen the one against Terry Armstrong, which I got So yeah, like I think it's at least just kind of worth mentioning RJ, given the fact that RJ is considered a potential top ten pick in this upcoming NBA draft. Uh you know, what were your impressions? Because again, like I haven't watched them. I haven't watched either of these games that he's played yet. Yeah, I've only watched the non again non game against Terry Armstrong. So smaller sample, but he he had a pretty solid game. I wouldn't say it was anything groundbreaking. A lot of again what he's shown at lower levels offensively, you can see his ability to use his size to get to the lane. He wasn't beating guys cleanly off the dribble as far as like shake and explosion. But he was using his size to kind of overwhelm and get to his spots. I thought that was really important. I was kind of impressed with his decision-making. Not a lot of anticipatory reason pick and roll, but he was making the right pass for the most part. A couple nice driving kicks, one skip pass. I've always found his game a little bit rehearsed as far as his ability. Like, you can see everything. He has almost every component that you'd look for from, like, a modern lead guard. He passes well enough. He's got a good enough handle as far as, like, some shake. And then the pull-up looks like it's definitely workable, not high-level but you can see the foundation of it. It's just about blending all of those elements together. So I was a little bit impressed with his decision-making there, even though I don't think he did anything that really jumped off the screen to me. Defensively, he really struggled as far as staying attached to guys over the top of screens at the point of attack. He was not doing a good job of directing in pick and roll as far as that goes. And you expect that from a young player. He was hopping out of position. You know, he would just get like rejected the screen on. He would get set up with crossovers and kind of hop himself out of the way. Was running into screens off the ball, late reacting to initial cuts by his man off movement. He would just kind of slam into screens. So I, I think there's a lot of areas to improve, but you can definitely see the foundation of a player who's going to be coveted. I think he's going to go in the lottery just because you see a guy who can really score the ball at the lead guard spot. It's more about, to me, how he blends elements of playmaking, of scoring. I've always been... I'm not really incredibly high on his feel level there. So he has a lot to show as far as improvement. But the foundation of skills and athleticism is there. Yeah, so like I said, like I'm not going to sit here and like break down his game because I haven't watched the two games. But um, he did drop 20 against Southeast Melbourne. He dropped like 11 and what was it, like four with one turnover against the Melbourne United. Uh, Melbourne United's a really, really good team in Australia. Uh, is you know, They beat both the Breakers and Illawarra 
uh, in the three games that they played. Southeast Melbourne is a expansion team that just started up. So the fact that New Zealand and Illawarra beat them shouldn't really be a surprise. Uh, it's just very interesting. It's very, very. Uh, it's going to be intriguing to watch those two develop this year because uh, the, I don't want to say this is like a totally new strategy, but I don't think we've seen two like on-ball guys like RJ and Lamelo who can kind of take over a game and dominate a game just via the position they play and via the role that they have on their team um, play with older professional players and kind of see how that, uh, you know, some of their maybe youthful inconsistencies interacts with some of the older guys, because like even Emmanuel Moutier uh, in China, China is just not quite as organized a league uh, in terms of like play style and everything. Whereas Australia is like a pretty, um, organized, you know, league in terms of sets that are run and everything. Yeah, and I think you noted this a couple podcasts ago about the physicality and the toughness in the MBL. And I don't think RJ really got tested there. Like whoever was guarding him was very quick or pretty quick as far as point of attack defense. So they they were walling off RJ's drives, but RJ could just go right through them and, and like over the top. I want to see him against a more physical defender with size. So there's still a lot of questions to answer in that capacity as well, but that's just worth noting. Yeah, for sure. Let's move on. Uh, you wanted to talk about Cole Anthony on this podcast and I'm just going to give you the floor. Please uh, discuss <laughs> Cole Anthony in the way that you see fit, because I think that this podcast this year is going to be the Cole Anthony, uh, basically the Cole Anthony show at this stage. Like we love Cole Anthony. Yeah. I just think that right now at this juncture, based on the tape that I've seen, I've seen a lot more tape this year, lower level guys as any year before. I think he has the best case for number one. I don't think it's necessarily like a clear cut case. Like I've said, I think Anthony Edwards is kind of one B to one a right now. I could see either one of them. You could see me James Wiseman really improves. You can see him as well, even though I'm very skeptical, like we've discussed, but I just feel like Edward, I mean, Cole Anthony is kind of the guy who's been a little bit underrated now, which is kind of interesting considering how proven he is as a shooter, um, his athleticism getting to the rim and all of that. But you look around some of the sites. I'm not trying to call anybody out, but you see him ranked at time, you know, fourth on a mock draft. You see him ranked 10th on a big board of mainstream sites. And I, I just don't understand in this class. I mean, like having him 10th, for example, I, I just don't know how you can even make that argument. We've talked about the, the upside. And if you really look for upside in the draft, which you should be doing, it's hard to have Cole Anthony outside of, frankly, the top three as far as what the NBA is now and how proven he is and all of that. So I get the concerns. I get the drawbacks with Cole. Like, he doesn't blend his game great as far as scoring and passing yet. But again, I, I do feel like people are like, oh, he's going to be a slight upgrade over Kobe White. It's like, if you've watched Cole Anthony, it's going to be like rolling out a Ferrari under the court compared to Kobe White. Like, I, I just think it's going to blow some people away. Yeah, Cole Anthony is considerably better than Kobe White, which is saying a lot because Kobe's really, really good. Um he won MVP of McDonald's. He won MVP of Jordan Brand. And if he would have, if there was an MVP at Hoop Summit, which there wasn't one awarded this year, he'd been MVP at Hoop Summit. Like this dude is consistently a guy that just kind of performs when the lights are on. Now, I think that some of the reason that he has been underrated um, is that he, in practice, like settings, like for instance, like a McDonald's, like a Hoop Summit, he doesn't like it it's pretty clear based off of his performances at events like you know mcdonald's hoop summit etc that he doesn't like quite turn it on at practice um okay 
Having said that, also at Nike Basketball Academy, like we talked about, what, two weeks ago? No, it'd be more than that, like a month ago now, because um, it was before my wedding. Cole Anthony was very, like to me, was very clearly the best player there. He was a monster. And that was in front of a ton of NBA scouts. Like, I know people were excited about Obi Toppin and like a few other guys, but like, it, to me, it just wasn't even close. Like Cole Anthony was doing shit that was translatable. He was doing shit that was, you know, helping his team win games, and he was doing it at a position that is more valuable than any other position in the modern game, given the way the rule changes have affected basketball, given uh, just the uh, the importance that we've seen with guys being able to knock down shots off the dribble. Everything we can just throw so many different reasons out there why Cole Anthony is just very very good, and he just is like the, the, I don't understand why people would be overthinking this I mean like maybe m- maybe the case is that like he has shot somewhat poorly he has the funky like short arming follow-through and there's some concern about the shot translating like me here how about this I will throw out potential concerns for Cole Anthony and you say why they're wrong do let's do that okay so let's do it. The jump shot where he has the funky follow through that's like kind of a short arm follow through. Does that worry you? It doesn't. I think aesthetically his shot doesn't look great. He has that exaggerated left shot line and then the follow through. I think he can work out the mechanics. Again, we're talking about someone who has touch and he's been consistently on very high volume, like a high 80s free throw shooter. And he shot well from three comparatively to his peers from the three-point line in EYBL play as well. So this is not someone who... I I think his shooting indicators are insanely strong. He has the foundation to improve, and he can tweak his mechanics a little bit. I'm not that concerned about that. I don't know that I would say insanely strong, but I would say that I think he's going to be a good shooter. Um, He has kind of short arms, and there should be some concern defensively. Do you buy into that? I'm concerned defensively because I've never seen him really play good defense. The one thing he does have is a strong frame, but he's not technically sound on the ball. His awareness and his effort level off the ball, and like you noted, the wingspan has limitations. The, the one thing you'll bet on, though, is he's not like this tissue paper in the wind as far as frame goes. That's what you kind of have to bet on, that energy and using that athleticism. But I, I don't expect him to be like this plus defender. Sure. I would also mention that he has always been like a monster defensive rebounder uh, for a yes. guard. Uh, he, see, see, like whenever... I've seen Cole. I saw him at Hoop Summit. I saw him at McDonald's as well. Like, there were certain matchups that he did seem to relish. Like, for instance, like I remember him taking on Jaden McDaniels at the scrimmage every year at Hoop Summit. Uh, he, like, he battled with Jaden McDaniels. Like, he wanted to be like, I am stronger than you. I'm going to stop you from getting to the spot. It was kind of like watching Dennis Smith battle with uh, Paul George earlier this year. Like that got a lot of publicity. Um, It seemed like Cole like really relished that. I actually think that he has some potential to not be switchable, but to not get destroyed on switches, if that makes sense. No, that's exactly what I was trying to articulate is like the strength level with him. That's his calling card. Hopefully it's not as bad off the ball as Dennis, because that's really Dennis's downfall is like off the ball. He's just a total train wreck. Um, Hopefully Cole can show at least rotational awareness and better awareness and understanding of that. But I, again, we're not talking about someone who's real thin, like he's going to be able to fight at least take, you know, away a guy's legs, for example, on a switch. So I, I do think that has some value. Okay. Uh, The last thing I'm going to mention, there has always been some concern that he is more of a scorer than a passer, that he struggles to get his teammates involved, that, um, you know, he's not a guy who 
um, might be all about the team, maybe is the way to put it. Why is that wrong? I mean, just I can only speak to what I see on the floor. I think he's a good enough passer. I actually think he's a pretty good passer. Does he blend? Is he Trey Young? Does he have that innate ability to not only see the floor in every angle, but understand when to score and when to pass? I don't think he's to that level, but he can pass the ball. Like He has vision. He has understanding of kickouts, drop-offs, and he has definitely he meets the threshold for me easily of vision. I, I think I'm more concerned about the decision-making elements, how consistently he's making the right reads, how willing is he, and we're going to get the answers to these questions. I know his reputation right now is... He kind of needs the ball, and he's that alpha that he has to have the ball, and it has to be his way or whatnot. We'll find out. Like I haven't, I've seen a lot of him at lower levels, and of course, a guy with his talent level is going to command the ball a lot of times. I, I do think he sees the floor better than he gets credit for. It's not like this guy doesn't have passing ability. Yeah, I actually think that that's just like an incorrect thing that people say about Cole. I think he actually is a really good passer. Um, yeah, you go back and you watch. Uh, you can't watch tape from Nike Basketball Academy, but like he was really, really good at Nike Basketball Academy at setting up his teammates and doing what uh, he needed to do to get them involved. So, yeah, no, I- I'm with you. Like, I think Cole is – I had Cole at number two on my big board uh, heading into, you know, the off season. basically. I-, I would have Cole now at probably number one heading into the year. I'm just going to go down with the ship on Cole. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> um, Anthony Edwards, and like with Anthony, I think that the question is, or has always been, how much does his game translate to winning? Uh, you know, he's played on a team at Holy Spirit Prep that, from what I understand, did not win like a crazy amount of games, right? Like for a guy that was this incredible five-star prospect. Um and then in terms of like his polish and pick and roll, his polish is just like an overall pull-up shooter. I think that there are still some things to really work out there. Uh, whereas yep. like I think Cole just has that like extra level of polish. Maybe you can say that Edwards' upside is greater because Anthony can really uh, just power past you as an athlete. And if he gets down those skills, he's really going to be special. And, and like I would totally respect someone having Anthony Edwards at number one. I also would respect having someone having James Wiseman at number one. I had him there in the priest or in the uh like right at the end of the uh exhibition circuit in high school basketball i'd probably move him down like a couple spots but to be honest i think he's still in the top tier at the very least yeah i mean i definitely disagree on wiseman like we've discussed we can get into that a little bit more but as far as anthony edwards i very much agree if you have him number one i can understand why significantly younger than cole anthony i think that's worth mentioning here you hit the nail on the head, though, as far as polished and like proven ability. Like, I, we just haven't seen it from Edwards enough as far as can he make decisions? Uh, can he shoot the ball? He doesn't have nearly the same shooting indicators as Cole Anthony does. He, he does show some semblance off the dribble, though, as far as pull ups. I'm not sure if he has that like forward momentum shot down, but when he's like more lateral and when he's like dribbling and he can just pull up like that without like the balance issues, I think he's actually okay. I've seen some pretty suspect touch. On his film, though, watching back, I think it was Under Armour that he played in. And, like, he misses a lot of bunnies around the basket. Even, even though there's a clogged lane, like, he should still, you know, convert some of these away from the rim finishes. And that's kind of what I'm most worried about. But as far as a speed-to-power athlete, we're talking about, you know, six four, six five. He is enormous. Like, if we were to draw up a draw-two kind of player, what I mean by that is being able to get by or through your first defender and really force rotations 
getting to the rim, it would look like this guy. Um, the question is, how much can he do with that? Because the physical gifts, the power, I've seen him just run through guys. And you don't see that a lot from lower-level guards. He's one of the biggest guard prospects we've seen in recent memory. So it's about the skill level. It's about the execution, the decision-making, the motor. Defensively, from what I've seen, has not been good. Uh, so there's just a lot of questions to answer. But you can look at his physical build and the foundation of skills, and you say, like, he, for me, he's got easily a top two, top three upside in this class. Yeah, in terms of upside, I would totally agree with you. I have, I have no problem admitting that. And the, I think that part of the disconnect on Wiseman, too, uh, it comes from... I don't mean to like disparage you or anything, but like you, you didn't go to like McDonald's, you didn't go to Hoop Summit no. except for the game. Um, I used to be right there with you guys on Wiseman. Like right whenever I, um, whenever I wrote on him when he committed to Memphis, I was like, I've got like real questions about this guy's effort level. And from scouts I've talked to, and from seeing it with my own eyes uh, at McDonald's practices and at Hoop Summit, like he has genuinely improved his defensive level to an extent that uh, did not show up previously uh, on tape. And I understand that like it's a smaller sample size, but it seems like there has been like a genuine amount of growth there that uh, like the light bulb has come on to an extent defensively specifically that I think makes him a genuinely special defensive prospect. Now, offensively, I have a whole (laughs) lot of worries like (laughs) I've got real significant concerns, but if we're talking about him as like a center who can, like I'm telling you, like I think based off of the tools, based off of um, his athleticism, everything, like he has defensive player of the year upside, I think. Like there, that's all there. It's more, uh, I don't think he knows what he is offensively yet. Interesting. Yeah. Again, a lot of this, like you said, is based on very recent, like a shift and this idea that he's transformed and this is supported by other people too like even if you watch like the mcdonald's practices if you watch the tape you can hear people in the background say i wasn't a believer in him until i went here there's it's actually like literally on tape i've watched it It, it's kind of crazy so if that is actually the case um i will adjust my opinion on him but i can only go from what i've seen from basically the majority of his tape at lower levels, which was incredibly uninspiring stuff. No, so if, like, if he has taken that leap, good. I watched Oscar Shubway, who's like a five-star kid who was like a borderline McDonald's All-American. Um, yep. I watched him just fucking destroy James Wiseman. Like I, I watched him like demolish him at Adidas Championships like a year ago or what it would be. Yeah, it would have been a year ago, right? Um, it, like it looked like Wiseman like didn't want to play against him anymore. And at McDonald's, when those two matched up again, Wiseman demolished him. Just absolutely destroyed him in every way. Um, and he did it with things that are a lot more translatable. Like, Shubway's game is like, okay, effort level, I'm just going to out-effort you, I'm going to out-rebound you, I'm going to out-muscle you, I'm going to use my lower center of gravity. So, like, you can see why that would be an issue for Wiseman before he took this leap, right? Like, based off of what the concerns were previously, it was that Wiseman has, like, a higher center of gravity, he plays high, he plays tall, he just doesn't necessarily bring the requisite effort level that is necessary to play at this level. Right. Um, at McDonald's, like it was, it was just totally different. He, he used his length. He used his newfound strength. It was like, he, he genuinely made a leap that was impressive and, um, 
was different than anything we've seen so far from him. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the Hoop Summit, that was the best I've ever seen him play defensively by a good amount. I'm just still skeptical, and he's going to have to show it. I'd rather have the position of being skeptical approaching him than starting with him at number one, and that just being rooted. I think this is a lot of problems with draft rankings and and the process is you get this idea that Wiseman is the number one prospect in the class, and that's ingrained in your head, and it's harder to move off of. And I think with him, I'd rather just be pleasantly surprised at the development than anchoring so high based on a prospect where if you watch a majority, like almost all of his high school film or anything like that, you would never, I would never look at him and say, that's the number one pick in the class. So that, I just never saw that, and I, I would rather approach it that way. But I, I do think there's one thing about his game that I think gets a little overrated, and that's like his explosiveness as like a leaper, like quickness off the floor defensively. Sure. Like you can see him even in against like Cole Anthony in a pick and roll setting. Like you can see him take initial like long strides, but Anthony can just separate from him on like, even like when they're even, you know, 10 feet away from the rim and Wiseman can't recover because he doesn't have that like incredible quickness off the floor, that incredible explosiveness. So I don't think he's quite the level of athlete. He moves well. I wouldn't say he moves elite, but he moves very well for his size. Clearly, and the length is just absolutely ridiculous. That's where he wins the most is just having that kind of reach. I do think he's a little bit overrated as an athlete just because you have, you know, some some discussions like this guy's a transcendent athlete. I don't see that on film. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I would totally agree with that. Um, I don't know. Where where do you want to go next? Like, what do you want to... I think that I think that the thing that I just want to <laughs> close up on on Wiseman maybe is that, you know, you mentioned, like, the idea of, like, the anchoring effect, right? Of, like, having Wiseman at number one, it's harder to move off of that. Like, I think that that goes back to what I said earlier on, at, like, at the start of this podcast. Like, I'm legit trying not to, like, center in on any player this year. <laughs> like, it, it's just not... There, there's just not that guy. It's it, that guy does not exist this year. The limit does not exist. Like it is, <laughs> it's just a different year in, in terms of player and in terms of uh, guys that are going to be very real prospects and guys that, you know, might end up sliding down the board a little bit. Like it, it's going to be a heavy movement year. And I'm just a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm keeping everything wide open basically is where I'm at. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I don't think, again, I don't think we have a scout situation on our hands here. He's not playing in the SEC. I think he's going to be very productive. That's kind of what worries me a little bit more about him, too, is it's not going to be one of those cases where if I do feel like he falls below the threshold of what I think his, like, people perceive him as, it's going to be harder to move down because we're not going to have this, like, clear case of someone who's bad. I think Wiseman is actually going to be very good in college. That's what's going to make him a little bit dangerous if he's not the player that people think he is as far as making this leap. I'm just going to say I have a name in mind (laughs) for the guy who might slide down the board scowl level-wise, and I'm not going to say it right now, but maybe I'll tell you off podcast about who my... Please do. ...who my idea (laughs) is for that. Um... Where do you want to go next? Uh, You mentioned the point guards. Maybe it's like worth discussing um, why you're so excited about this point guard class. We've talked about LaMelo Ball. We've talked about Cole Anthony. We spoke briefly about RJ Hampton. Um, You know, I guess like maybe it's worth discussing like, are you considering Anthony Edwards in this like potential lead guard category? I am just where the modern game is. We'll see about his decision making and like the passing acumen and all of that. But I mean, as far as a ball handler, that's what you want him as, right? You want him as the primary ball handler. If you're going to take him, you know, one or two, it's not like you want this off-ball guy. Even like, He's going to get compared to Oladipo a lot, and there's a lot of differences in their game, but that kind of point, 
like de facto point guard who really isn't a natural one. But in the modern game, scoring gravity on the ball matters more. So that kind of guard, I think that's where the Anthony Edwards appeal on the ball happens. Yeah, what I'd say in terms of where I'm at on Anthony is I would want to play a point guard next to him, but put the ball in his hands a decent amount. Yes, I think, like, again, using Oladipo as an example, I don't think Malcolm Brogdon is like a pure point guard, but having someone right. like that who can also initiate... Someone like offense. Darren Collison, who's like a lower yes. usage point guard. Yeah, ideally, like, maybe even like a Derek White, for example, if you want to get, sure. like, Great really example. good fit as far as defensively. So, like, that kind of player, I, I definitely agree. You want someone like that who can also handle the ball and make decisions. You can't just give him the ball every time. He's not going to be James Harden. But, again, not many guys reach that high level. I, I don't think that that's going to be Anthony Edwards. So uh, the next guy for me on this list, and I think he's honestly probably worthy of discussion in terms of this top tier, is Teo Maladon uh, out of Asvel okay. in France. He plays for Tony Parker's team. Um, have you gotten a chance to watch a decent amount of him yet? Yeah, I've seen basically all of these guys uh, a yeah. good amount at this juncture, so I have a pretty good feel on this game. Yeah, you always – sometimes you go a little bit later on the international guys, though, so I'm always, <laughs> uh, I always want to question. Um, Very fair is so where are you at on tail i like okay i don't like doing player comps that much but he does remind me of like shay light in certain ways like how he plays it's very similar as far as craft he has an incredibly good hesitation dribble and pick and roll when you see drop coverage like that like he's just very crafty and he's good at finding avenues and lanes to the basket the shooting indicators are positive i don't think he has dynamic pull-up ability which again like kind of jives with Shea he doesn't have Shea's size or or length to that extent but you can see the IQ he's probably one of the smartest pick and roll passers that I've seen of the guards in this class he's he's good feeling that capacity okay I I think he's good yeah I I think I've seen uh, the more tape I've watched I was a little bit suspect at first just because I think I got a bad sample he's really improved like nothing like incredibly incredibly high level but I think he's very good and very serviceable there so I I do like his playmaking acumen I'm most concerned right now with his ability to score off the dribble when he can't get lanes to the rim so I have not watched any of his games this year I will say that I've just been locked up with the wedding like his first game was literally on the day of my wedding and went on my honeymoon and now I'm working on this like bigger NBA based project so like I haven't gotten a chance to watch him at all this year uh does this thing that does what you're talking about in terms of what you've seen of him on tape refer to this year as well as last year or just last year it was mostly last year I don't think I've gotten to any of his current year film yet it was mostly the end towards the end of last year and kind of watching back some of the highlights um watched like I think five or six games of his uh, pick and roll possessions and all of that so I I don't know about the beginning of last year that's kind of like the blank that I, I don't really have a great feel on as far as development it's more like the end of last season sure so what I would say is that I think he's a much better open floor passer than like a guy that, you know, consistently makes plays uh, in the half court right now. Like you mentioned the idea of him being a really, really good pick and roll passer. I haven't quite seen that to the extent that you have. Um, I think he's like fine in it. Don't get me wrong. But like, I do think that it is more of a Shea situation where, uh, you know, Kentucky Shea was not a guy that I was like hyper impressed with as a lead guard. So um, 
I, you know, it, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. But like when I watch him, I see a guy that is more like quick twitch and is um, like just lightning quick in terms of getting out like on the break in transition or uh, getting out and, and really just creating those opportunities right now. Um, it's worth mentioning, like in his last game against Limoges, which Osvell won by 10, like he dropped eight assists. So I'm going to have to go back and watch like some of his playmaking abilities. But when I've watched him in the past, yeah. I see him as more of like a um, Shea is probably the right comparison. I see him more on the scoring side of the spectrum, but as a guy that can uh, that is just like super quick and like buzzes in and out of the paint because he has that like lightning fast first step and that ability to create a ton of transition opportunities. Interesting. Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more conservative on his athleticism overall. See, but I don't I do think like he's a good crap. leaper. I think he's a really, really quick player, though. Yeah, that's I mean, I, I'm even more conservative on that. I think he's quick. I don't think he's like crazy quick. Mm-hmm. I think it's more for me, like how he gets guys off balance. That's why I think the Shea thing is Shea's not super quick either, but yeah. he's like super crafty and he's very good at finding angles to the rim. Obviously, Maladon doesn't have Shea's extension, which is what Shea's like where he really makes his money in, in right. the lane as far as being able to extend with either hand. But I've seen some craft from Maladon, too. I'm just a little concerned with his ability. My, my, my biggest concern with his, his overall projection is just his general scoring aptitude, especially on pull-ups. Like, he has, mm-hmm. he doesn't have that kind of quick rise into his shot. His balance doesn't seem ideal off movement. He doesn't seem like a really high-level difficult shot maker. He's, he's fine off the ball. Like, he can play off the ball. He's, I think he's going to be one of these guards who's like a multiple ball handler kind of guy where he's not going to be like an engine of your offense, but I think he can be like one of your you know, two or three guys on the perimeter who can make a play. I think that's where he projects best. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, honestly, it's funny that he plays for Osvell because it sounds like you're kind of talking about almost Tony Parker, right? Where, like, Tony was at his best playing with Manu, who could also initiate the offense and could also make plays because Tony was, I mean, for as exceptional as he was, and he's a Hall of Famer, he probably was like a slightly below average passer as a point guard. Yeah, and for me, I don't even know if Maladon, it's like my issues aren't really with his passing. I, I think that that might be some of the disconnect between us, and you might get there if you watch more this year or yeah. whatnot. But I, I, I'm fine with that. I'm not saying he's like Trey Young. I don't think he's that good. He's probably not even as good as Killian Hayes as a pick-and-roll passer, but I just see the foundation. Like He makes pretty damn good decisions out there, and he has vision. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that pace element to his on-ball game, and I like the passing. For me, it's mostly about the scoring. Like, is it going to be Tony Parker getting to the rim? Like, I don't think he's that fast. Like, Tony Parker is incredibly fast. I, I think that Maldon's he's not slow, but he's not like, I don't, he doesn't blow me away by his speed to the rim. It's more like his ability to freeze guys with dribble moves yeah. and kind of navigate his way. That's how I see him winning. Yeah. And you mentioned the idea of like being able to, um, you know, kind of play with pace, right? Like what I think he's really good at is he uses that change of pace ability. He knows how to string out like, you know, bigs that come out and guard him and like get him on it and get that big like to end up on an island with him and then use that first step to like really blow by. Um, yes. Like he has really, really strong body control as well. Like I think that's another thing worth mentioning. Like you watch him around the basket. He doesn't have that like requisite strength level yet to be like a great finisher, but um, he does... Like he has that ability to like know where all of his limbs are and like hang in the air and keep the ball like in a competent shooting position, right? Like that's something that like a lot of guys that are younger struggle with. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's it is worth mentioning. I agree he needs to add strength, but we're talking about a six four ish guard. 
So that that's very positive. I, there's a lot of things to like about him. I'm not sure if I see the upside. That's why I don't have him in the same tiers like a Cole Anthony or an Anthony Edwards. I don't think he can get to the rim and finish. He's not that kind of explosive athlete to that level. And I don't trust his pull-up game enough to compensate. But there's a lot to like on film as far as his IQ and his slashing ability. I, I'm, I'm a fan. I just don't know exactly where he falls into like the upside argument yet. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, like, how would you rate him compared to Tyrese Maxey, I think is a good question. Oh, that is a great question. I really like Maxi's game, but he, he I think Maladon's more dynamic off the dribble. Like Maxi to me is more of like a three and D kind of point guard. Like he can do more than that. He's a, I think he's a really good sure. decision maker. But like I don't know if Maxi's gonna be like this get to the rim guy. And like his pull up game, I think I trust it a little bit more in his range. He has that one motion release. So Maxi can actually shoot from pretty good distances. But kind of a similar issue to Maladon as far as can they score well enough on the ball and efficiently at higher volume to be this lead guard. To me, Maxi is more of like a an ancillary guy that you want to play next to someone like a wing initiator like Luca, for example. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, no doubt would agree with that. Um, I see Maxi as like an awesome pull-up shooter, as an awesome scoring guard. Like, honestly, he might be more of a third guard. Um, I think that the upside exists for him to get beyond that because, like, he just has, like, a ton of counter moves um, that he'll, like, just throw at you whenever you try and guard him one way. But I think the big thing is going to be getting to the point where he is something of a distributor because right now he is mostly a scoring guard. Yeah, and again, I think like some of his assisted turnover numbers, I think, are boosted by some easier passes. But he has right. like a sterling, like at lower levels, it was like unprecedented how good his decision making is. That doesn't mean you're like a great pick and roll passer, for example. Right. I think he he just he doesn't function in like that consummate and like a prototypical lead guard from for an NBA point guard, for example. But right. I, do like, think I think a big part yeah. of it is that like he's a scoring guard, and guys that tend to take a lot of shots tend to have lower turnover rates. And I think that that's more where you see the assist to turnover rate being high for him. You know, he's like a, he's a fine passer who makes the easy pass. He's like, Bruce Brown is kind of like this, where Bruce Brown is really good at making really good decisions out of the pick and roll, but not necessarily making like incredible high level reads either necessarily. Um, Whenever I see Maxi, Maxi's just a better shooter and better scorer than Bruce Brown, but like that's the kind of like pick and roll distribu- distributor that I see when I see Maxi. And Maxi's not like a guy who's going to get downhill and finish at a high level at the rim. Like he doesn't have like Cole Anthony's one foot pop, for example. But what he does have and what's going to go underrated, I think, his touch is absolutely excellent. Like on runners, he might have the best runner in the class. Like it's the closest thing I've seen to to Trey's runner. It's the closest thing I've seen to that is as far as Trey Young, not Trey Jones. Um, (laughs) And like I've seen him like work on that. Like that is something that he spends a ton of time on. Like he genuinely really already at like, 18, 19 years old, sees the value in that shot and sees how important it is to a lead guard's game, especially one who isn't going to be like an exceptional finisher at the basket. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is especially for him, I, his ability to realize that and work on it, I think this is pretty promising. And of course, you don't want to bet on a, a, a runner, for example. But like we've said in the past, like if you can't get to the rim every time, you need to have counters to that, especially for a guy who isn't an incredible athlete. I think his ability to score in the intermediate range is going to be big for him. I just hope he ends up in the right team situation with the right context. I do think he's going to be really, really good defensively. He's got wide shoulders. If you watch him at McDonald's, I think he's going to add considerable strength. And he's going to be, I think he's going to be one of the better point of attack guys. His energy level, I think he's quick. Um, 
maybe not like he's going to get some Drew Holiday comps. I don't know if he's going to be that good, but I do think he's going to be a positive defensive player. So when you factor it into team building, you just need like the right situational fit. You need the right kind of primary ball handlers around him. And he's just like an awesome, like very positive influence to have around. <laughs> like his energy is just super infectious. Um, he's one of those guys that like people seem to rally around. Kentucky fans are going to love Tyrese Maxey this year. Like they're, they're <laughs> just going to love like rooting for him and having him around. You know what? Like let's just have this podcast focus in on the lead guards. Cause I think that you know, we've already gone for an hour and we still have yeah. a few more to discuss and you know, we can discuss other positions at another time. Um, Nico Mannion, is a guy that I did not really like up until I saw him at Hoop Summit. Um, watched him for a week, watched the pace that he played with. Um, and, and by that, like, I'm not saying that I thought Nico Mannion was bad. I thought he'd be like a starter for Arizona immediately and uh, yeah. be like a really, really good college player. I just wasn't sure if like he was like a guaranteed one and done either. Uh, after seeing him at Hoop Summit, I'm like, oh, yeah, this dude's probably going to be a one and done. Yes, I agree with that, and especially in this class, too, with the returners and the need for point guards. We'll see how many teams actually need them <laughs> as far as drafting last year and whatnot. But I agree. I He's very interesting to me. I see some fluctuation on his stock. Most people have him in the lottery, I would say. Most sites, some guys even have him in the top five. I'm not quite there yet as far as overall, but I do see I've the alert to his like game. 12 right now for what it's worth. Like I'll have him like late lottery to start the year. That sounds more reasonable to me based on what I've seen. Maybe a touch higher, but honestly, definitely in that range. Hoop Summit, he was impressive. I think when you were comparing, I know, like comparing him to Cole Anthony, like Nico was seeing the floor better. I thought his reads and pick and roll were really good. And that was what stuck out to me most about his Hoop Summit performance is his passing ability um, and his ability to hit like corner shooters on skips, his ability to time drop offs and like fit passes into smaller crevices was impressive. You watch his you know, high school tape. Some of that was there, but there was a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys are tasked with a lot of scoring at lower levels. So they're going to get to the rim. Nico, I think his strength level is a little bit underrated as well as his explosiveness. I don't know if he has that top gear as far as speed. I, I don't know if he's like a crazy bursty athlete. And that's something that I think he needs to be in order to separate, to get angles to the basket. Like I think Trey young at his top gear is faster than Nico, even though Nico is clearly more explosive. And I right. think I would almost rather have the speed. I mean, Cole Anthony, I think has both, but I don't know. Like, can he finish at the rim? He's got a, a good pull-up jumper. I don't know if he has like 30-foot range off the dribble consistently as far as that kind of mechanics because he has a little bit higher of a release point. But his shot's pretty functional. There, there's a lot to like there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that the big thing, like you said, is the feel for passing. Um, his skill level's really high. Uh, he just knows how to operate in a pick and roll in a way that most guards that are 18, 19 years old just have no idea how to do. Um, in terms of his skill level, he's just like a really good, really tight ball handler, uh, has a lot of creativity, great change of pace. Uh, he's just a very, very functional, he's very functional at like the skills that you need to be like the pick and roll lead guard, uh, in today's league. Now I think that like, it's worth mentioning too. I worry a little bit about like him finishing at the basket. He's another guy that yes. does have a floater game that will be useful, no question. And he does have like the three level scoring because of the floater game and because of the ability to knock down shots. I think that that's going to be really valuable for him. But having said that, like he's probably going to be bothered a little bit more by length than someone like Cole Anthony because while they're about the same size in terms of like they're both like probably between 6'2 and 6'3, 
uh, Nico doesn't have that like level of strength that Cole has to like kind of bounce off of dudes. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, definitely agree with that. And I, I will say, watching the Who Summit game back, the first time I watched that live was kind of difficult. I watched it back once more on film, and then a second time on film. I wasn't as impressed the second time with him just because, like, the separation ability. I really did like the passing. I think that's what really stood out. That's really all I saw the first time around was, like, I was really impressed with his reads. But watching it back, like, at the end of the game, for example, like, Isaac Okoro basically locked him. Like, he wasn't doing anything there. And I think that's kind of where I worry about him the most is does he have enough to win in those kinds of matchups? Because he's not, like, he's a very good passer. He's not, again, like, an, uh, an elite, like, you know, 95th percentile passer. I think he's very good. Can he score efficiently enough on the ball when he's tasked with going against better athletes as far as finishing at the rim, getting separation? Those are just questions he has to answer. But again, I, I see the foundation. I see why guys like him. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you there. Uh, let's talk about Io Desunmu. If, if I remember correctly, you're like a little bit lower on Io, Io right? Yes, definitely. So explain that. I mean, my question I would post to you is, what is he good at? Like, what are you, what are you looking at for him from a projection standpoint that you say he's going to be able to do this in the NBA at a positive level? So I would say that I think Io is probably going to be a good shooter off the catch. I think he's going to be an active athlete uh, who is pretty okay defensively already. He's like pretty good on ball defensively, especially a six, four with like six, nine wingspan. So he's the frame to be good defensively. He's already pretty good in transition. Uh, I definitely see him as more of an off guard than as an on ball guard. But like, if you have him next to a point guard and he leads the break in transition and gets like an early offense set, like I'm totally cool with that with him as like a secondary ball handler. Um, uh, like I'm not going to sit here and say that like I think he's a future star. Uh, he's probably a third guard, but like I think he's a potentially useful third guard. That's more reasonable. I, I still like if he's an off ball guard. I don't think he's that level of shooter to be like a positive value guy. I don't know if his decision making is great. His off ball defense underwhelmed me quite a bit last year. I agree he has sure. some on ball ability. So I, I, I guess I get it from that sense. I'd, I'd need to see a leap this year, though. I think if you're in on him, you're expecting him to improve in certain elements to have positive value. Like, if you're an off-ball guard to me, you have to be such, like, a dynamic defensive player. We're talking, like, Frank Nielakina, who's been terrible offensively, but defensively, he's really, really good. Like, that caliber of player for me to really bite. And I don't think io is that level like he, he just doesn't interest me that much like i'd want more decision making i want more of like a Derek white kind of player you know what i mean like and he's not that to me well he's not Derek white as a decision maker like Derek is just like an unbelievable decision maker having said that i mean io knocked down his catch and shoot shots at 65.4 effective field goal percentage last year um it's the problem is that he's just not a good pull-up shooter because he has the kind of funky shot mechanics right um I am generally like I'm like cautiously optimistic on IO. Like I'm not saying that like he is some exceptional player. I'm just like okay, like I think that there is upside here for him to grow into being like an interesting combo guard who can defend and who can hopefully knock down catch and shoot shot and have like requisite ball skill. Yeah, I think he has like threshold ball skills. I just again I don't see him as good enough of a shooter. Like off motion, can you run him off any kind of action? If he has his feet set, that's fine, but. Again, a lot of guys in the NBA, you're not going to be able to park a, a combo guard in the corner for a three-point shot. You know what I mean? You're going to have to get him off motion, doing some things, getting him downhill, some some shots off, off like floppy sets, for example. Can Io do any of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, like, 
It's just like not something that he gets a chance to do at Illinois. Yeah. So like, I I don't know the answer to that. That's like a totally reasonable response, to be honest. Um, Trey Jones, like Trey Jones's translation is just like very easy. Like he has to shoot it. Otherwise he's like a third guard. Yeah. I mean, he's, this is the, one of the biggest single swing skills in the class. And also, by the way, just to follow that last point on IO off screens, I just looked at it on Synergy. He was 0 for 8. So not only did he not right. make any, but it, it was more importantly, it was an incredibly small sample. But with Trey, I mean, you can see a really easy role for him if he could shoot the ball, even off the catch. If he, if he can shoot the ball off the catch, like he's, I think he can be a useful player just because he, you can, again, kind of pair him in like a poor man's maxi role. Because I think Maxi's just a much more bankable shooting threat. But that kind of archetype of a guard where you can put him next to a wing creator and he defends point of attack, one of the best on-ball you know, defenders in college basketball. He makes really good decisions. He's actually underrated as an athlete, I think, as well. His ability to get to yeah. the rim quickly. He has incredibly long strides for his size. And I've been impressed with some of the craft finishing. But not a lot of it matters if you can't shoot the ball. That's the thing with him is like there's so much nuance and like goodness to his game. But in order to unlock it all, he has to shoot the ball. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on all of that. Uh, he's an incredible defensive player, uh, I think, is the big thing. Like, Trey Jones, yep. there are a few players that you can bring up and be like, this guy has potential to be, like, the best point guard, like, point of attack defender in the NBA at his peak. Like, Trey Jones might be that guy. Like, Trey Jones genuinely is an elite, elite level on-ball defender. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can definitely find rules for him getting around screens at the NBA level. He fights on switches, doesn't have incredible size, but I do trust his instincts there, his ability to leverage his size as well. So again, I I never fights around screens like crazy. Yes. And he fights in general. Like he's just one of those scrappy guys. And I I love that out of smaller guards. Um, He's never going to be like a dynamic pull up threat. I don't think that's not I don't know if that's in the cards for him at all. Really, really concentrating on is just his touch and his ability his me- with his mechanics to just knock down catch and shoot threes. Like that's what you have to have from him. And we have to see some kinds of strides this year. Uh, it, it's pretty fair to be skeptical. He's someone who's been decent from the line, not great, but I think in his case, you really do have to focus on the actual three point line uh, from a projection standpoint, how comfortable he is. Can he get the ball there consistently? What are his misses like this year? Uh, there's just a lot that goes into that. And, and it's a very big move piece. Totally agree. Uh, Let's talk about Tyrese Halliburton next. Um, So Tyrese Halliburton was not a point guard last year. Like it's, it's just worth saying that like he did not play point guard in the traditional sense. He maybe was listed there, but basically everything he did was like off ball. Whenever he got into the half court, he was like a floor spacer. Whenever he got into um, the full court, like maybe he would bring the ball up and uh, initiate a set immediately. But then he'd like transition to being like a spacer as like a shooter, right? Doesn't really have much of a pull-up game, um, really reads the floor exceptionally well, but also is like not a guy who can really create plays with the ball in hand yet because he has a high dribble. Like Halliburton is one of those guys that I have, like I've talked to some NBA scouts that are like, oh yes, we want that guy in our system like right now and think he could be useful for us right now. And then I've talked to other guys who are like, this guy is just not and like he's not an NBA player right now because he can't do anything with the ball and we don't trust the jumper because he has like that really, really funky release. And I think, honestly, you can make an argument for both 
yeah. sides in that argument, frankly. But he's just someone who is like it's easy to see the allure with him, and like he's an incredible, he's a genius level basketball player. He's one of the smartest players in the country. There's a lot of there's a lot to like, but again, you need requisite and threshold skill level and like functional athleticism to unlock that being valuable like it's one thing to say yes i know that tyrese halliburton's incredibly smart but what does that really mean contextualizing it within a projection because you need to be able to dribble we talked about this on the podcast we did with fiba he got to the rim 14 times in the half court last year and some of those weren't off the dribble (laughs) the 14 total times and he shot five pull-up shots off the bounce and i think one of the one he made was like a hoist from like 35 feet right so we're talking about a player who is you know, very slow release. He's sped it, he can speed it up at times, but for the most part, it takes him a while to get shots off. Not going to shoot off motion, not going to shoot off the dribble, not going to get to the rim at a high level. He's not like explosive finishing. He avoids contact when he gets inside. So you're looking at him as a tertiary role. It's kind of like a ball mover. And guys like that need to be able to shoot the hell out of the basketball. And we just haven't seen that. Yeah, no, I, yeah, 100% agree with all of that. I mean, like, it's just, he's a very, difficult evaluation and i'm going to be fascinated to see what this year looks like especially now with yes. Rasir bolton getting eligible yesterday like I, I wouldn't be surprised if tyrese ends up not being on ball as much as what people are expecting this year so i have a question for you just transitioning to another player is there a reason you don't have killian hayes like higher in this order or we're we about to get to him um yeah let, let's get to him now um <laughs> I am not really like super high on Killian Hayes. Okay, hit me. So there are two very real concerns here with Killian, I think. Uh, first, I don't think he's like much of an athlete, really. Like he's probably going to be a below athlete, below average athlete for the point guard position. And he's not a shooter. He's actually like a really bad shooter. Um, I, I Given what the sample we've seen so far of his shooting ability is, it's hard for me to project him being a good shooter at some point. Now, he's good in the pick and roll. He's a really good passer. He is a really good defender for his age as well. Um, He's a good decision maker, too. Like, he makes decisions at a higher level than what I think most, you know, 18, 19-year-old guards do. Uh, Especially last year, like, he was, like, 17 years old playing, you know, actual somewhat rotation minutes for uh, Cholet in France. So, like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, he's not a first-round pick. Like, I have him in my first round, but I don't know if I see much of an upside with him either. I think a lot of that is fair. Um, I I guess the divergence in shooting is you don't put as much emphasis on free-throw shooting as a lot of people do. I do As far as translation. So, you're viewing more the three-point shot, which he was, if I recalled really dismal last year correct he's been dismal throughout the course of any <laughs> competition he's ever played yeah so i, I get the yeah if, if you're viewing it through that lens i get the reservation i think he has touch but his mechanics to me aren't consistent yet he hasn't shown enough evidence that he's going to be a plus pull-up shooter and that's what he has to be because he's not somebody who's just going to kill you and get to the rim and explode i, I don't know if he, he he's more of average-ish athlete to me at the point guard position maybe slightly below what do you think about this comparison not the same player but how would you compare him to d'angelo russell athletically probably pretty similar but i think d'angelo is probably one of the three or four best ball handlers in the world yeah, that's fair. I mean, D'Angelo's dribble is really good. I, I see some similarities. I do, I do get where you're going with it, though. 
yeah, I just don't know if either of them have the legs, really. Like, just athletically, they don't get the push and, like, the bursts. And I, I, there's some commonalities there. I do like Hayes' pick-and-roll passing a lot. I think he's one of the better ones in this class. You can make an argument that, like, some of yeah. it's a little bit flashy, but the way he sees the floor executes and, like, the skips and all of that. I don't know about right-hand skips, but, like, with his left hand, he makes probably the most advanced passes than anybody in this class for point guards. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, so last year, it's worth noting that he shot, uh, I believe that in total it was 30.9% from three. Um, hold on. No, 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 no. He shot, he shot 18.2% from three last year. Um, two years ago, it was 31.6%. So it was much better. Um, this year he's made two of his three, three point attempts. Um, whenever, so I saw him back at basketball without borders in 2018 and he was playing a year up, so like most of the guys were at least one, maybe two years older than he was. Um, like he didn't even make the all. They they named like ten of the fifty or sixty kids to the all team, like the all basketball without borders team. Like he didn't even make that team just because like the shooting was not there, the uh, decision making was very clearly high level, but just that like athletically he didn't match up. And all of the stuff I've seen. Um, from him at Cholet is basically the same. Like uh, he, he's a super high feel level guy, but yeah, yeah I, I think he's like, if, if you took away D'Angelo Russell's ball handling ability and gave him like average level ball handling ability for a point guard, like I think D'Angelo would significantly struggle at the NBA level. That's fair. I, I can't really, you know, go Killian's a better defender heavily. than D'Angelo is too. Worth saying that. He's a better. I, I will say he's better off the ball. I, I really like Hayes's off ball defense. Very aware, good hands on ball. I have been less enthused. I think you see some really bad tape of him as far as being able to move laterally quickly, like the quick twitch stuff. Like you see some elements where he can like pressure the ball, but I think against better athletes, I'm a little concerned about his ability to contain the basketball. So that's just something to point out. I think the overarching point with him, though, and we're going to see, just to point out to the listeners, we're going to see a lot of divergence in opinion of him this year. As people believing in natural touch with his shooting and people believing in the results and like the mechanics of his jump shot because very, very good from the foul line, good on runners. I think he was like 13 of 23 on runners last season. Like You can see the natural touch around the, around the basket. So if people, some people might bet on that. I'm just saying that that's why you'll see Killian Hayes in the top 10 or like maybe the top top eight or something to that effect it's because people believe in the natural touch sure so in u17 competition u16 u17 competition he is 14 of 55 from three so 25 percent um in total competition he is 62 for 227 so 64 for 227 is gonna be 28%. 28%. So like he's consistently been a 25 to 28% three point shooter over the course of the last three years. We've seen him. That's it's tough for me. It's tough for me to get past that. Like I understand that he's been a fine free throw shooter, right? Like it's not like he's some, you know, like 90% free throw shooter. Like he shot 82 last year um, and he shot 82% on one and a half free throw attempts a game because he doesn't like consistently blow yeah. by guys to get to the basket. Um, yeah, I'm not like, it's not that like, I don't like him as a player. Like, I think he probably will play in the NBA as a, uh, reasonable rotation level player, uh, 
probably off the bench. It's more that I see him more as a bench player than like a potential starter. I think that's definitely fair. And I want to see him. The biggest issue with me with his shooting is the lack of improvement in his three-point shot. Like even if he started out low and he's been low for a little bit, I haven't seen that spike yet. And I really want to see him take that to the next level. Of course, that's why we have this year as a sample. We get the, the benefit of that. There, there are a lot of reasons to be down on him. I do think maybe in certain elements or certain sites or whatnot, the hate has gone a little bit too far, but I get the reservations. Well, where where would you have him? I guess is a good question. Like in what area? I think right now, maybe either like late, late lottery or like top 20-ish on the latter side, like sure. somewhere maybe within like 13 to like 22, I want to say. I, I don't know. I haven't assigned a specific guy's rankings yet, but maybe in that range. Sure. And I'd go like, you know, 25 to 35 so like i'm a tier lower than you basically but like we're we're pretty close in terms of where we are on him it's just like i've seen some people like you know like mike gribbenoff is you know he writes for your website and like mike is it mike that's exceptionally high on him right i think he was i think he's lowered so he i think he had him in his top three i want to say when he released his last board but now i think that's more of like the latter half of the lottery if i'm not mistaken yeah um yeah, like I, I've just never totally gotten it with him, to be honest. Um, I'm trying to think. Do we want to? Do we want to like dive deep into here? We're at an hour and twenty minutes or so. Hour twenty five minutes. I will give you the floor to yell out and like other point guards that you want to just like briefly talk about. Yeah, that's what I was going to go with you as far as, like, is there anybody that stands out from the rest of a lot? I've talked a little bit about Trey Mann on past yeah. podcasts, I believe. He's my favorite freshman sleeper this year. Not probably going to start for Florida just because, you know, they have Nemhard, uh, Locke at the two guard. I think he's probably going to come off the bench even though he'll finish games. Just his talent level to me is really underrated in this class. Like, his dribbling ability is really, really high level. And, like, his ability to use his eyes and manipulate guys on the ball like he really sells his jump shot stays loaded in his shot and kind of will raise his shoulders to sell shots and he that's how he beats guys off the bounce and i've been really impressed with his ability to set up picks i wrote a piece about him a while back and there's just a lot there his shooting indicators are really good i like his mechanics i like how he can stop and decelerate on the ball it just comes down to like running an offense we haven't really seen that i haven't seen him make a a ton of high level reads he seems pretty crafty getting to the basket he actually has vertical bounce like he's a pretty good leaper not crazy he's not like cole anthony's gonna dunk on you but like he's like i just don't know why i I think a lot of people and you're probably gonna speak to this a lot of people don't expect him to be a one-and-done based on the situation i look at this draft and say i'm looking for identifying value and to me right now with how he's considered in draft discussion like if he were to come out because the returning class was so poor i would be very interested in him in the draft range he's probably gonna go i think that that's totally reasonable um I will say that you're 100% right. Like most of the people I've talked to don't see him as a one and done. Um, I'm intrigued. Like I don't, I think that a lot of the reason that people don't see him as a one and done is for something that you mentioned. Like he is basically a scoring guard right now. Like I've seen him quite a bit and like, he's not a guy I've really seen make much of any like high level reads. Yeah, that's my biggest concern is the decision-making. The ability to get to the rim. He's not like a crazy athlete, but I do like his craft. Like, he'll sidestep you, and he'll, like, slice between defenders. He's ambidextrous for the most part. Like, he can finish with his left hand. Incredible touch on his floater. A lot to like there, and he's never lifted weights before. Like, that's something that, you know, I read a piece recently that that outlined that. In high school, he never lifted weights. He just started, and he's already, I think, gained, like, 10, 12 pounds of strength. 
Um, that was expected, of course, but I'm just saying that, like, that's why you see his kind of more diminutive frame. He has kind of more slender shoulders. He's not Tyrese Maxey with those wider shoulders. I don't know. I, I'm just really intrigued by the skill set. I think that you don't have that kind of natural ability to... It's almost like Fultz in some ways. Like, obviously, he doesn't have the physical tools, like the size, but, like, those really... Like those hang dribbles that are very deceptive, he just moves at kind of a different pace, and I feel like those guys are very, very hard to guard. I like Kira Lewis and Devon Dotson a decent okay. amount as returning guys coming back. What are your thoughts there, Kira? We've talked about in the past. I, I get the speed in the open court is is kind of mesmerizing at times. Like he can shoot the ball. Um, he's got that one motion release, a little bit low. But he was just completely overwhelmed last year in the games that I saw, which is to be expected because I feel like he was like the second youngest player in college basketball. So yeah. it's like a wait and see thing for me is like I want to see him run an offense, play more on the ball. How does he defend consistently? But there's, there's a lot to like. I just again, he just wasn't ready last year. So we'll see if he is this year. Yep. Uh, next, let's go with Devon Dotson. Any real thoughts there? I really like him as a player. I think he's going to be a very, very good college player. I don't know if I see a role for him at the NBA level. I love the way he plays, the tenacity for his size, like his physicality, um, his toughness, speed all of that. Too. Speed. Like, yeah, burst to the rim, like actual real tangible skills on the floor. Absolutely the speed to the rim. But again, in the NBA, is he going to finish around, you know, bigger players? That's the issue is like how functional is the package. But I, I love watching him play. Yeah. Uh I buy him as a defender. I buy the speed translating. I buy the tenacity translating. Um, he's going to have to shoot it. He shot 40% from three on like somewhat limited attempts, but like he's really going to have to up the uh, consistency as a shooter. Uh, I'm trying to think. Xavier Johnson? Any any strong Xavier Johnson thoughts? I know that he's been a longtime favorite of the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love the I love his build and I love his ability to get to the basket. I think he's pretty advanced in some of his moves there. He can pass well enough. For me, it's just like the the mechanics of his pull up, and this is where I always get hung up on with point guard prospects and guards. Is like I'll, I'll just knock those guys down aesthetically. Maybe I shouldn't, but I, I don't know how that's going to translate into like a difficult shot maker role at the NBA level as far as pulling up with better contests off the bounce at his size. But he's a bulldog, man. When he gets downhill. There's a lot to like there, and he's really powerful. Not the best two-point percentage. I think if I recall correctly, as far as finishing, that's a little bit of a concern, but he is powerful. He can hold guys off with his frame. He's a good player. The last one I'll give you is Ashton Hagens. Any thoughts? Uh, I mean, he's not my cup of tea. I don't, I don't really see him scoring well enough offensively at the NBA level. And He's kind of like, he's good on defense. I get that. Like, he's very aggressive, got good hands. But he's one of those on-ball kind of bulldog guys who I don't think translate well enough to the NBA level because of a lack of size. Like, I would rather have a 6'4", 6'5", strong guy at that position than someone who's, like, lightning quick and can pressure the ball. Yeah, totally agree. Um, he's really going to have to shoot it. Just, yes. like, going to have to figure out the jump shot to have a chance. Um, maybe he can be, like, a third guard that, like, comes in and changes games defensively. But, like, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to play that role at the NBA level. Is there – I'm trying to think. Uh, Jamius Ramsey at Texas Tech is a name that's come up for me. Um, just, like, talking to scouts. He's, like, a combo guard as much as anything. Um, have you gotten a chance to see him? DJ Carton is uh, going to be at Ohio State, like 6-1. I don't really see him as a one-and-done, but uh, he is a guy that I think is going to play like a critical role for Ohio State this year. Boogie Ellis is going to be at Memphis, just like a high-level scorer. I'm actually like a pretty big fan of him as a scorer because I think he's like a legit three-level scorer. 
No, I, I agree across the board. I never really saw Ramsey. I guess he was... I've watched him play before, and I always saw him as more of a wing in the games that I've seen. Maybe yeah. that was just a function of role. But, I mean, he he's really athletic. And, of course, he had that huge game over the summer. I can't remember what he had, but he just blew up in yeah. that event. So he's definitely a guy that I have at the top of my list to watch more intricately. Um, DJ Carton, really good athlete. You know, he's a little smaller, strong build. He's shown some ability to hit like skip passes and stuff very very interested in him but it's going to come down to publicity and like does he get enough momentum to even enter the one and done conversation him playing like time, Man, honestly, even because cj walker is a transfer from florida state yes. who's probably going to go into the season as their starting point guard they have luther muhammad they have um you know washington who's going to be back next year like they, they have a lot of upper class guards and i think dj is more talented than those guys but I, i'll be interested to see if he like full-on gets a chance yeah, exactly. That's where I was going with the Trey Man. Not not the exact same situation, but just generally they're going to be pushed down a little bit on the pecking order there. Yeah. Have you seen any of Rocket Watts at all? Uh, not really. No. Like I've seen him at like a couple events, but like I can't like break down his game at like a super high level. Yeah, I mean, he's got a he's got a good build and he can really shoot the ball off the dribble. He's one of the best pull-up shooters of the incoming freshman that I've seen. Um, Sounds like you watched a lot more Spire than I did last year. <laughs> you could say so. I, I watched good seven, eight games of theirs. So watching a lot more lower-level basketball this summer, I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing, but uh, something you have to do, I guess. Uh, Devion Harmon is like an interesting like pull-up shooter who I think will probably come off the bench for Oklahoma. Um, you know, top 50 guard who can knock down shots, has like a He's small at six foot tall, but like has a really good frame, a lot of strength. I don't think he's a one and done. I think honestly he might be like a four year guy, but um, really, really good player that I think is at least worth mentioning. He played FIBA, right? Like he was on a FIBA team. Yeah, he's been involved with Team USA for a while. Okay, yeah. So that's where I recognized him from. I don't think I saw any of his high school tape. Um, Harlan Beverly's a really interesting guy going to Miami. I have not uh, seen any of him. Yeah, he went to Montverde. I saw him kind of watching other guys. He's you know kind of a sneaky athlete we'll see how functional the skill level is as far as pull-up shooting or whatnot i've seen him make some pretty decent passing reads and the athleticism kind of pops but he is you know six four how like the skill level is going to be good enough on the ball or skill wise on the perimeter um that's kind of the question with him but he's kind of underrated in my opinion interesting all right i think that we've gone deep enough on the point guards right (laughs) what do you think yeah, I mean, I don't know if I don't really have anybody else left. Um, I'm not do, even do sure. You, we didn't really know exactly where this podcast was going to go. We just kind of ran with it. Do you want to talk about Drew Smith? That's your guy. Oh yeah, that's not. Yeah, I mean, that's like the Stepians guy. I can't claim it for myself. Ben Rubin is very, very high on him. I will say that he, his stats are incredible. Some of his stats, like his sophomore year, are it's just like, like great stats too. It's not really even. Um, like points per game or anything. It's like he shoots at a high percentage from the two, yes. shoots at a high percentage from three, unlimited attempts, good assist to turnover, and uh, high steal rate, right? Yes, yeah. Steal rate, block rate, um, assist to turnover, I believe. He does turn the ball over a lot. Like his turnover percentage is very low. I think you've noted that on past podcasts. It's like the bottom 25th percentile both years, something to watch out for. But for the most part, really, you know, he's a very cerebral player. Six, I think he's like 6'3-ish, very strong frame. Uh, his shooting touch is outstanding. That's one thing I'll speak to is like his ability to finish like runners and like off balance shots, attacking the basket. Not a crazy leaper by any means, of course. More more of a below the rim guy, but very good touch indicators as well as on the page as far as just catch and shoot guy. I think just to put a player comp, just a, a lot of people I know aren't really familiar with Drew Smith. Maybe something like a Fred Van Fleet would be what you're looking for. I'm not saying he's going to be that person, but right. that's the kind of 
player type, like a very big-bodied, strong guard who makes good decisions, can shoot the ball, can sometimes initiate your offense, but does his best work as more of a secondary. Do we want to talk real quick about the two gunners in this class, Antoine Davis and Marcus Howard? I'm going to let you do that. I haven't seen, I mean, I've obviously seen a lot of Marcus Howard. I haven't seen as much of Antoine Davis. They both like to shoot it. <laughs> that they do. Marcus Howard has, like, his shooting percentages are absolutely incredible historically. I mean, he shoots the living yeah. shit out of the basketball. His, his pull up numbers are outrageous. Just totally outrageous in every way. Um, do I think he is an NBA player? Maybe. Like, not impossible. He's a good pick and roll player. He is. Uh, a guy who can really get to that pull-up like at an incredible level. If you told me he carved out a role as like a bench scorer, it's not impossible. I don't really see that for Antoine Davis yet, but um, yeah, like not in, not totally impossible. I don't think. I agree. I think that more likely you'll see him in Europe, and he's going to be an awesome player in Europe or, yeah. or somewhere internationally. I just don't know if he has like he's not getting to the rim. He's not defending anybody. Like it, he's he might be one of the worst defensive players in the NBA when he comes in there. And yeah. how good of a shooter do you have to be to really compensate for that? Oh, here's we miss Jalen Pickett. Do you want to talk about Jalen Pickett real quick? Old man's game. You know, he plays yeah. like a 28-year-old um, as far as functional athlete. I, I'm not as high on him as some. I get that his numbers are incredible. Like, his pick-and-roll passing is fantastic. Like, nobody questions his ability to see the floor. It's more like how functional is the skill level, and athletically does he meet the threshold for a modern point guard. Like, you're looking at someone who is a noticeably, in my opinion, worse athlete than someone like an Alex Caruso, for example. Like, and that's I get that there's so much to like and there's so much craft, but when you have to like double spin move to get to the rim at times in the match, how are you going to create separation in the NBA? <laughs> um, one like super, super under the radar guy um, that's out here is Colby Ross at Pepperdine. Um, I think he's, I don't think he transferred. Uh, I mean, like I should probably look that up, but he's kind of interesting. Like he averaged 19 points and seven assists last year. He's been a pretty consistent 40% three point shooter over the course of his uh, two years at Pepperdine so far. Good pick and roll playmaker can knock down shots off the pull-up. Like, I'm not saying he's, like, an NBA player necessarily, but, like, if we're talking, like, deep sleepers and trying to go wild here, I'll yell him out. I'll give him, like, a quick little shout-out. Yeah, that, that's one guy that I've honestly... I've never watched. I haven't watched anything Pepperdine sports, I think, since my buddy played baseball there in, like, 2009. So... It's been a minute. Um, I have one last guy for you. This is a incoming freshman. He's a higher-level guy, but probably not a point guard, and that's why we didn't talk about him. The Nova kid, Brian Anton, what, is, what are your thoughts on him really quick? Yeah, he's a, he's a pure scoring two. He's hurt right now. He has a shoulder and an elbow injury. I can't remember which one. Um, polished scorer. Don't really see much of him as like a lead ball handler. Like I think he's like a secondary ball handler, uh, shooter, run off screens. Um, you know, guy that you get get the ball on the move. He attacks like off of a dribble handoff, like all all that stuff. I think coming down, like attacking off of the screen and getting downhill. Um, I do think he's like a potential first round pick. Like definitely one and done. Yeah, I, I figured you'd probably view him more in that context, and I, and I agree with you based on what I've seen. I'm more curious to see if he can make that transition to a more on-ball role. That would be where his athleticism, you know, his quickness, his ability to finish around the basket with pop. I, I saw some of his initial highlights, and I was like, why the hell isn't this guy rated higher? And then I watched actual games, and I was like, that's why. Um, I, I like him. He, get, but like, he gets like a little bit invisible from time to time. Yes, he, he does that. Also, like, his handle, I feel like I wish it was a little bit better. Like, too often he loses control in traffic. If he really had, like, 
an advanced elite level handle. I don't even care if he's a scoring two guard. I would have him a lot higher. I said too often he's kind of out of control. He plays. I want him to get reeled in. I think he went to an awesome situation with Jay Wright, like being able to teach him jump stops and like hop steps and like footwork. Yeah, I think is going to do wonders for his game. I really am interested to see what he looks like this year because, again, the Villanova scheme is like very. I don't say it's tough to learn, but it is. Um, very meticulous in terms yes. of what they ask of their guards and with him missing, you know, off season workouts and potentially missing part of the preseason, he might just start behind the eight ball to a point where it's going to be tougher for him. Maybe. Um, so I'll be interested. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if, if we want to go like down that road, like AJ Lawson, like, are you an AJ Lawson guy? He's okay. I, I don't view him as dynamic enough. He's another one of those, I guess, three and D kind of point guards. I like some of his defense, some of his decision making, his ability to shoot off the catch. But like, it, I, I don't know what it really translates to as far as me really valuing it. Ball skill, ability to shoot off the catch, and you like his defense. That is, that, that's a that's an NBA player, baby. It is, but like, yeah, I, I like him. Like, I probably have him like top forty ish. I, I don't know if I believe enough in the ball because I, I maybe. O- oversold that a little bit it's more of like i view him as more of like a three and d kind of guard right now and do, we'll, we'll see where it goes do we also like grant riller at all i thought you said do we like grant williams like fuck yes we like grant williams, we like grant williams <laughs> um, a lot do we like grant riller uh i do i, I really do i think i think there's a chance i we should have brought him up before he's kind of like a pseudo you know two guard like you could say right but yeah, he's, a he's like six combo. four you know he's they run him off they run him on ball a lot they also will run him like off ball a decent amount too um really creative with ball in hand really really creative with ball in hand and one of the best bursts i've seen from a guard yep like both incoming freshman overall like he has some plays i watched this game i want to say it was against lsu he had one pick and roll drive where i don't know if i've seen anybody in this class move like that as far as first step quickness and like just getting to the rim and he's an incredible finisher i mean some of his finishing numbers are just they're 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 so far outlier that there's no comparison for his level of play and i know he plays charleston or whatnot but it's it, some of the stuff's really impressive the thing with me i've watched some of his games he has to hit pull-up shots better yep. he has to develop that footwork and like consistency but sometimes he'll play against higher level competition i can't remember one of the games i watched maybe it was against auburn or something like that but he, he just completely disappears and you want to see him more consistently engaged but he's going to get a shot like some team that's analytically inclined that sees his finishing numbers and his ability to get to the rim will take a shot on him whether that's you know on a two-way or something to that effect like i would actually i right now i think he should be drafted i like, agree frankly, I, have, I have him as a top 60 guy i don't see the downside because you know he can at least do some things on an nba level yeah i agree with you like another guy that's like 100 percent going to get drafted is cassius winston too like yes. he's going to be the best player in college basketball this season and i feel like the fact that we haven't mentioned him is probably like an <laughs> insult like he really is just an exceptional college basketball player um yes. Like, Nigel Williams-Goss has gotten a guaranteed deal from Utah. Like, it took him a year in Europe. But um, even if you're not the most athletic guy, if you have this just ridiculous, incredible feel level for the game, um, you're really going to get a shot. And Cassius is probably the best pick-and-roll playmaker in all of college basketball, right? Like, there's no one who's a better passer out of the pick-and-roll. Yeah, no, I agree. And as a shooter, he actually can knock down pull-up jump shots. Like, he can go around a screen. Part of what makes him such a difficult guard and part of what makes him a guy that gets these passing lanes that he can hit is that 
defenders really have to push up on him on the pull-up coming around that screen because he will just knock it down in your face. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's an very, very high-level basketball player, no question. I think his floor, I do think he gets drafted, but his floor is going to be something like we saw, not the same player, but something like Justin Robinson, where he's right. a guy who can just run your team and like the, even the G League and be like your fifth guard. I don't see a lot of upside because, again, he can't jump at all, and he's yeah. going to get completely overwhelmed in the pain if he tries to drive. But guys who can run offense and they can see the entire floor coming out of a pick and roll and also have some pull-up gravity, they're going to get a shot. I think that he is a... I think he's better than Justin Robinson. I will say that. Um, That's fair. In large part because I trust his pull-up jumper a little bit more, and I think he's a better passer than Justin. Justin's a really good passer, but um, like it's just kind of different level with Cassius. Um, I think he sticks as a backup point guard. I do. I don't think he's a starter, but I do think he sticks as a backup point guard. I'm with that. I, I think that there's a definitive chance, and I think IQ, like he's not... The problem with him is he's not like one of these big guys he's not Jalen Brunson you know what I mean like if he was that no, 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 I would feel a little bit small yes that's the thing with me is just like the small point guard sometimes the NBA doesn't value that as highly if he was like built and he had like a sturdy frame I would say 100% he sticks I do think he's going to get a legitimate shot I would be surprised if he didn't get drafted I'm a little concerned about his size long term and, and sticking but I and there is value to someone like that, and I think the NBA is growing more partial in some ways to guys who can run like your G League offense and make everybody else better and make it like a, a good developmental situation. Yeah, no doubt there. Um, I think that the big thing that this entire podcast has pointed, has pointed out is that like this is a loaded lead guard year. This is like an absolutely exceptional lead guard year for the NBA draft. Exactly right. And I think that's why I pointed out 2009 in the initial discussion as far as depth, because there's a lot of these guys. And some of these guys could really pop. Like Nico Mannion could be better than we expect. You know what I mean? So it, it's, there's a lot of depth there, and we'll, we'll see who all comes out. But that's why I like, I like when there's value opportunities in a draft, where it's not just like in the top three. You can like see where the, how the board's going to fall a little bit. And some of these guys might get pushed down, because look at who drafted last year. You, know, you see Kobe White, Darius Garland in the top ten. Like How many of these teams, if you look through all of them really need lead guards. And that's where I think the inefficiency in this draft is going to be. Yeah, totally agree. Cole, please, please shout out whatever you want to shout out. Yeah, I haven't written anything in about a month. I've been taking time off as well. So I have nothing to really plug. I will probably get rankings up on the step in at some point. Um, cumulative, maybe just overarching rankings, not individual, but just the composite rankings. So you can kind of see where you know the site's at. Um, and as usual, continue to listen to this podcast. So I have not written anything in a month, like since I've gotten married or anything, but, uh, I have filed like seven stories. So I've like, like I said, this bigger project that I'm working on. So you'll get a chance to see that upcoming, but, uh, yeah, I, I have nothing to really send you. I'll send you to the, uh, to one shining podcast. I went on with Titus yesterday and we made fun of the whole Kansas <laughs> situation, but like, uh, Beyond that, I mean, just listen to this podcast. And most importantly, Cole. Oh, yes. Let's go. We have a review to read. It is. The goat. <laughs> beautiful. It is probably the best review we've ever received. And I would say it is in large part because the name of the reviewer is No Laws When Drink Claws. God, I love you so much, oh. whoever you are. You're <laughs> goddamn right there are no laws when you drink them white claws. Um, review, I would say Sam is a combination of Rajon Rondo, Ennis Cantor, and De'Aaron Fox. 
the basketball intellect of Rondo, the optimism of Ennis Cantor, and the transition play from summer league to manscaping with speed and efficiency similar to Fox makes him an all-around role player worthy of the mid-level exception in you day and all-around a fun listen. Keep it up, folks. I don't think I'm ever going to get better compliments than that. The optimism of Enos Kanter is like the best thing I've ever heard, literally. Hey. <laughs> I, I love Ennis. I'm here for I'm here for all Ennis Kanter comparisons. Um, oh. And again, seriously, if you want to have your podcast read, make a White Claw reference. If you want to have your review read, make a White Claw reference because <laughs> it is almost always going to stand out in my mind. So uh, that's all I've got. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.